What's up, everybody? My name is James York, and this is the B Podcast. The story behind the name B is that I'm a hip-hop head. Comments album B is my favorite album of all time. It's a timeless album about life and stepping into who you really are. And that's what this podcast is all about, to just be. To be you, to be great, to be the best version of yourself. Over the years, I've read hundreds of books and articles on self-help and becoming the best version of myself. I've had over a thousand hours of therapy and coaching, and as I go through this personal journey of becoming my highest self, I want to invite you to join me. Together, we will learn and grow each day, mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, and financially, all while showing compassion and empathy to others, and having a little fun along the way. I'm no expert, but if I can learn something new and help you to grow, that's why I intend to do it. Thank you for listening to the Beat Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. This is James with the Beat Podcast. We got a special guest with me. I'm interviewing Miss Lita Hernandez. She is a former training coordinator of a residential facility and currently works as a mental health professional with crisis response and intervention. I want to give Lita a warm welcome to the B Podcast. Lita, did I forget anything in your your resume and your bio? Just before my professional career, I did some sexual assault volunteer with a nonprofit. But no, that was a great introduction. Thank you for having me on the B Podcast today. Thank you for being on here. I really appreciate you making time. To start it off, what made you choose the, the field of work that you're in, the, the mental health field, the trauma and crisis response? So I don't think I chose it. I think it kind of chose me. I think uh, anybody that works in mental health is kind of drawn to the field for one reason or another. Maybe you experienced something and, you know, you went through some healing. Maybe somebody close to you had went through something. But I think it really just chose me. I think in um, there were some things, you know, that happened through the generations. And I think in a lot of Latino households, stuff tends to get swept under the rug or they don't want to talk about it or they don't go to therapy. And I I just kind of wanted to create change in, you know, among the generational cycles. And it just I felt like it was something that came naturally to me. People seemed to be drawn to want to talk to me about things. I had my own personal experiences, but I, I kind of just think the field of, of mental health chose me. Wow, that's incredible. Like for you to just really recognize that it was a part of like your purpose, like your call, like it was always going to be there for you no matter what. That's amazing. In your own words, what is trauma to you? Well, trauma kind of by definition is like a distressing or a disturbing experience that you go to. And then kind of like on that medical side of it, trauma, it would be like a a physical injury, right? Like a blunt force trauma or something. So the way I kind of think about it is like, it's like an injury on the brain because going through trauma kind of affects the way that you perceive things, the way that you look at things the way that you react to those things. And trauma is such a broad thing because everybody deals with trauma differently. They may experience it differently. So what may be trauma to me may be nothing to you. And then you can have uh, the same group of people that are maybe all traumatized from the same thing, but they may express it 
differently, that that outward expression of trauma may look different for each of those people. Um, so it's kind of it's a it's a distressing or um, a disturbing experience. Absolutely. I agree with that. And even to that point, just how you say trauma can affect different people differently. Like it's the same with like a physical wound. I might fall and I might be okay, but somebody else could fall and break all their bones. It's just, it's similar with that, with, with our mental health. Like one thing, you know, someone goes through like a breakup could be, eh, just brush it off, go out to drink. And the next person could have a nervous breakdown. So I love that answer. Right. And even looking at like trauma and how uh, the diagnosis of PTSD can be, it doesn't necessarily have to be you that personally experienced it now looking into things. For example, and it may not be the greatest example, but after 9-11, even for people that weren't, you know, directly had someone that, you know, was lost or that was on a plane during that incident. For some years after that, every time somebody got on a plane and you, you know, seen someone that in your mind, the media portrayed as maybe having a bomb on them, you know, you were automatically on high alert. And not that that was a great response. It it, it wasn't. And the, the media definitely did not portray that great but that was still kind of a trauma response to something that everybody experienced. But even for people that didn't experience it directly, it was just, it was something maybe a lot of people had seen in the media, but it was still a trauma response. So it doesn't have to be something that you necessarily experienced firsthand. That's a great example. And, you know, even in black and Latino cultures, like we have trauma that's been passed down for generations and things that have happened, like with Blacks, for example, like slavery, we still have trauma that's inside us from those 400 years of slavery and beyond uh, with Jim Crow and everything that goes on to, with that. And it affects us still today in many different ways. So, yeah, that's that's really deep to think about, honestly. What are some different ways that you've seen trauma affect children in that same lens of uh, perception? So, I, you know, that's kind of a really broad question, especially working, um, the majority of my years working in mental health and trauma has been with adolescents. So like ages six to 21, and it can present so differently. I've seen a lot of extreme scenarios, someone being literally locked in a cage and fed through a cage, someone being kidnapped and gang raped and having flashbacks. So it can present in so many different forms or somebody being violated by one of their parents at night at bedtime. So now they don't want to go to sleep. They, when it's time to lay down, you know, they have anxiety. And, but what we see on the exterior is them having a crisis, right. Or, you know, having a behavior, wanting to start a fight, wanting to start an argument. That's the external of what we see instead of kind of looking at what is the root cause of that. Well, the root cause is because when that child went to bed at night, um, you know, he or she was being violated by, you know, their mother or father. So it goes so much deeper than that. But some different ways that you can um, view trauma or how it can present, it can present as, right, uh, some mild anxiety, severe anxiety, some depression, suicidal ideation, right? Someone wanting to self-harm, homicidal ideation, Every time if they think a situation looks, 
you know, maybe similar to something where they're having a flashback. You know, maybe there's some homicidal ideation, some SAO, which is sexually acting out, especially for young children that have been um, molested or raped. And, And with children, there's such a high percentage that with molestation and rape, it, it tends to be from somebody that they know, somebody that's close to them. And it's presented in, oh, we let's play a game or this is a way to show love. So that kind of becomes to them, oh, this is what love is. That's a norm. It, it's sick and twisted, but that's what it is. I personally growing up did not let my children play house or doctor. We We didn't play that in my house. I talk to my children in age-appropriate settings about good touch and bad touch. Calling uh, a child's, you know, when you're teaching them about their body, calling their private parts what they are, not making nicknames for them. And, um, you know, again, to each his own, but me just working in the field and having seen so many extreme scenarios, that was the way that I I tried to do something different with my children. Absolutely. I, I feel like that's a, a wonderful thing to get into the habit of because you're creating like a foundation that they can really understand not only their body, but um, if someone violates that boundary within them. So absolutely. I agree with that. What are some ways that we can start to heal from our trauma or start to deal with our trauma? First, you have to kind of be in the mind frame where you're recognizing that it is trauma. I, I feel like when when there were certain things I was having to go through um, and I was angry and I was lashing out and no, it's so-and-so's fault. And if they just did this differently, instead of, you know, taking accountability to say, no, I did those things. And what what is the root cause of why I did those things and, and go deeper into that and understanding that I, I was experiencing trauma. My, I had experienced trauma myself. Now, that didn't mean that I had the answers and knew what to do with it. Right. But I, I had to to first recognize first and and be willing to want to get some some type of change for me you know that maybe came with having somebody in my life to talk to or god played a big role in that for me but with a, a lot of things in experiencing trauma and we we go back to talking about that physical injury it can present in other symptoms physically as well right so having a lot of anxiety can present like with you know stomach issues or not sleeping well at night, or chest pains, mm-hmm. all of these things. So taking the health yeah. is you know, very important part of that as well. So making sure that you're getting enough sleep. If let's say somebody who is has, struggles with depression all the time and they use drug and alcohol uh, abuse to have to escape that reality, well, then it's probably not a good idea for them to continue to drugs and alcohol. So um, you know, looking into a program, helping find support from other people. For people that struggle with depression, if they tend to isolate, they're going to be have to be proactive and not want to, to isolate. They're going to have to reach out to somebody to say, hey, th- this is what I'm, I might do and I'm struggling. And when I do this, I'm, I'm going to need some extra support. Sensory, being mindful, right? For me, I like to classify myself as an introverted extrovert. So I like social settings. I like being around people, but I know for me to regroup, I need to come in my room and be completely by myself. I don't want to talk to people. I don't want to do anything therapeutic whatsoever. And not everybody's going to understand that. 
But um, especially if I had a very intense day at work and my mind is just so overwhelmed with the things I had to see or deal with. And it, it's sensory overload for me. So for me, it's putting on my aromatherapy diffuser and maybe spending some time with God or just sitting mm-hmm. in silence and, and staring at the wall, which sounds crazy. But for me, you know, it, almost removing all sensory is a way to kind right. of regroup and get myself back to it. There's different exercises, uh, like grounding is one of them that I really like, literally just taking off your shoes and walking around in the grass and connecting back with earth. Um, there's like CBT, uh, which is cognitive behavior, behavioral therapy, which has a lot of different exercises and stuff you can do, or even DBT, um, which is dialectical behavior therapy. There are different skills and stuff that you can look up, easy things to do, uh, little exercises. There's one that's called like leaves on a stream. And basically you're just closing your eyes and envisioning these leaves coming off of a tree and maybe like autumn, them hitting the water. What would that feel like? What would it smell like? What would you be smelling being around that? So it's kind of being really mindful with all of your senses and listening even to your breathing and doing all of that. And that can kind of help de-escalate yourself if you're feeling like you're in a situation where you're really overwhelmed. For me, my big thing too was once I kind of got my joy and my peace, taking extra steps to hang on to that. If I know every time I go around this person, all I'm going to hear is literally them complain about their boyfriend. Today, I'm going to avoid you. Like, I I don't want to hear about your personal issues with your boyfriend today. I can't handle it. And then I think it's also important to not just address if I'm going through the trauma and healing what to do, but also the other side of that, right? So if I know someone that is in close to me that is that person going through trauma and trying to get healing, what are some things that I can do to help that other person? I think, you know, it's important to look at that too. So for me, I could be patient, right? Understand that the way that they may process and deal with that trauma may be very different than me. Just because I didn't experience it doesn't invalidate what they're going through. I should be willing and able to listen. And even if I know when they open their mouth what they're going to say, I still should be quiet and listen. And that's creating a safe space where they feel like they can come and talk to me without judgment. Because in their mind, if they know, okay, I know if I go tell her this, she's going to cut me off 30 seconds in and tell me about myself. Well, what makes them actually want to come and talk to me? And going along with that, don't pressure them to talk. I can just say, hey, I'm available. It's a safe space. Whenever you feel comfortable, we can talk about whatever you're comfortable with. And if, if it's just a few things that day and it becomes overwhelming, then that's fine. We can try this again whenever you're ready. Uh, but just kind of being available and creating a safe space. And then also it's important to not take it personally. Don't take their trauma symptoms personally. Um, if you know if someone's if someone's having a bad day and they're having flashbacks and they're re-experiencing something and I get offended by something, knowing, especially me, knowing that that's what they're going through and then telling them, no, I don't want to talk to you for like a month. Well, yeah. how is that helping them whatsoever? Especially if I'm aware that, you know, it's it's an outward expression of the trauma that they're going through. 
but yeah, I think it's important to look at both of those aspects. Right. No, those are wonderful answers. Like, I hope everybody is listening to that because she gave so many valid points. I love how you mentioned having a routine to go to when you're going through something, especially in the position that you're in, having to actually heal yourself after coming from crisis intervention and dealing with people who are going through trauma and suffering from maybe mental illness or anything like that, knowing how to kind of reset. And, um, you know, and also you mentioned creating boundaries so that you can create, you can protect your energy and protect your peace. I'm all about that. And I mentioned that as well with just um, creating my routine in the morning with prayer, meditation, you know, just drinking some tea, relaxing, you know, taking walks during the day. So I love all those answers and I'll be applying some of that stuff to my life as well on my journey. You also mentioned yourself dealing with trauma from the past and you don't have to give an example, of course, but how did trauma affect you personally in in dealing with what you had to deal with? Well, you know, without going too much into it, I think that in the the moment and as being a child, I just think I felt, sometimes I didn't necessarily know what I felt, which is important too. I kind of think about that now when I work with children, but I didn't necessarily know what I felt. Now as an adult, I look at it differently. I think a lot of things I blocked out, like it was an automatic response. Um, I don't, there's large chunks of my childhood I don't remember and I try hard. Everybody will tell me, but I just don't remember certain things. I'll remember bits and pieces. And also like sometimes the way I remember things as a child may have not been the reality of what it was, but that was my perception at the time. So it was my reality. I remember being angry. I just remember feeling like I was really different and didn't belong. And and maybe, you know, that wasn't the trauma, but I think that just kind of added on everything. So like even with working with children now, I try to reframe the way that I talk. So if I'm talking to a child, I'm not saying, what's wrong with you? What did you do? I'm maybe saying instead, what happened to you? Because as a child, if somebody asked me that, I may may have not known what was wrong with me or what I was feeling. Mm -hmm. But if somebody asked me what happened, I may have been able to at least explain that. And then we could have kind of got to it a little deeper. And I still feel like there'll be there'll be times where God will bring something next for me to deal with. Like, because, you know, you can't deal with everything all at once. That can be overwhelming. So I feel like as I work on something and deal with something, then, uh, you know, God may bring something else. And, okay, let's work on this. And, um, you know, in my mind, sometimes I'll be like, really, something else? Here we go again. But, you know, I want to be in the position where I really don't want to repeat those old generational cycles. I, I really want to create new ones. So in doing that, I I have to deal with certain things or I have to be more observant and more willing to listen and really just see things from other people's perspective. In the, like the last few years, I've really gotten to a place where I can pretty much talk about anything with anyone because I'm not trying to convince anyone of anything. 
Um, if they're open to having a different perspective of something, I'll give them that. But it's not my job to tell you that you're wrong in how you feel in the way that you yeah. see things because your experience in life could be drastically different from mine. So I'm just trying to understand your perspective. And if you're open to feedback, maybe give you a different one. But that that's that's been really big for me yeah. as well. I, I love how you said reframing. Because often when we listen, we listen with our own lens. So when you talk to children, we have to kind of see things from their perspective and change the lens. So we have to reframe things. And that goes for adults, too, because like you mentioned, somebody else's trauma can affect them totally different than you. So you can't come in with your own perspective. I love that. And you mentioned, you know, that you you kind of had anger as a child when everything that you went through happened. Would you say or make an assumption that anger is probably the number one response to trauma or is that a bad representation? I don't, I don't think anger is necessarily that response, but it, it may come out a lot of times that way because what if I, and I'm not saying this was my situation, but what if there's a child who is trying to explain what happened to them? And every time they try to explain that they get shut down. Well, at some point you're going to get angry because you're like, hello, I'm trying to tell you what the problem is. Nobody's listening. So I I don't think anger is always primary. Uh, It can be secondary. Or if I'm having, if something happened to me and I'm having flashbacks every time I go to bed and I can't sleep at some point, I'm going to start to be angry because now I'm frustrated, especially for me. If I'm tired, it affects my whole day. So that anger is an actually a secondary response. Okay. I understand that now that that clarifies it because it's not the root. So you, you definitely have to take care of the root and then everything else can, can come away from that. How have you seen the pandemic affect how we process trauma, adults, children, anybody that you deal with? So on a lot of, a lot of different ways. So there's right been this increased um, death from something we can't actually see. Right. So that automatically instills fear in a lot of people. Mm. When you start involving the politics in that, you have a lot of people that are divided on the way that they feel. And some of those people can have, you know, conversations, but a a lot of people have been very combative with this is the way that I see things and this is how it is. And if you don't see it that way, you're wrong, which can, again, create those other secondary responses on top of people already being very heightened and be very anxious on, you know, oh, I don't want to die from something I can't see. And the the media portraying it one way, which also doesn't help, you know, every day in the news, you're seeing, oh, death toll is now this and such and such happened from this. And just kind of creating that widespread panic and fear. When everything was shut down, people were then, uh, for the most part, more isolated in their homes, which for people that lived alone and already struggled with anxiety and depression, that kind of just worsen those symptoms with, you know, then social distancing. So you had a lot of family members that went a year without seeing one another. So now we're talking about that, that lack of physical touch, that lack of intimacy and not, not sexually, but non-sexual intimacy, just giving someone a hug. You had people going to visit their loved ones at nursing homes through glass windows and or they died and they yeah. never got to say goodbye. They never got to have that physical touch. Give them that one last hug, um, which can create then other symptoms. You know, it did a lot. Now, in other things with younger children and then having their parents at home, that maybe was a positive and getting to have that more bonding time 
with them because you know for them I got to see you know, hey I just have mommy home more often we get to have more playtime and this is just uh I guess this would be an assumption as well just for people who are already dealing with trauma situations where I know I heard a couple situations during the pandemic where you know women were being battered or abused in situations like that you know work might have been a safe place the the trauma of being at home with your abuser 24/7 probably stirred up a lot more emotions you know for them most definitely and then you had where um, people were trying to avoid going to hospitals or going to places cuz there was so overrun with covid positive patients or and and even if that wasn't the case for every hospital that according to what the media was portraying right a lot of people you know some services weren't available a lot of things were shut down yes people that were working from home so i can imagine in some situations it made it harder to reach out because now it's harder to find a reason as to why you need to leave the house to have that time away so yeah definitely right what advice would you give someone listening that's on the road to healing from their trauma? Like, where would you give them, what would you point them in a direction to just start? I would say one of the things for me that I, I definitely regret is that I just felt like because people came to me and talked to me and because I had people depending on me and because I worked in mental health, I can't possibly go talk to somebody that I'm struggling from issues. Like I'm the one supposed to be helping people. And even after I had children, I definitely suffered uh, from postpartum. And if I'm being honest, I would not answer those little surveys correctly when I would go to the doctor afterwards. That made everything a lot worse because I wasn't just putting my pride aside and saying, I need help. So if that's one thing I could tell other people. And I get that you can't tell everybody that you're going to have people that are going to judge you or just say, oh, they need to get over it, um, which, which is a horrible response to have to someone. But find somebody that you can trust. There are now a lot of free counseling services that will work even with like Medicaid. The wait lists have gone up on those because of COVID. But there are services that work with your income Find, reach out and and establish um, a connection that is a safe space. Put your pride aside and and be willing to tell someone I need help. And I think that's definitely one thing for me that I, I wish I would have done sooner. Absolutely. that I think that that is the first step is like being able to admit you need help. I wear this bracelet and it's from hope of hope for the day. And it says, it's okay not to be okay. And I tell everybody that I talk to as a mental health advocate that it's okay not to be okay. We all told this lie that we have to go through life and be strong and never go through anything. But, you know, the strongest people go through the most stuff. So I always tell people that, you know, admitting it, getting support, reaching out and getting professional help is so important to not only your healing process, but just your your overall health period because stress kills trauma kills all that kills it's uh it's this it is a silent killer and if we don't address it then you know we'll be damned i mean honestly right and i think i think the other thing too um to understand i 
when I'm when I'm working with somebody and helping them, I don't ever want to set them up for failure. So I never want to insinuate that, okay, once you get over this and you heal from this, it's just done. You're never going to have to deal with it again. Mm-hmm. That's a lie. Um, but the thing is, is that like, even now I'm, I have my joy. I'm happy. Yes. Things can happen in life, but I even have to realize like, Lita, it's okay that you're having a bad day. It's okay that nobody understands that today is not a good day for me. And that's just what it is. I may be emotional and I don't necessarily know why. And that's even through years of, you know, going through healing and being on this journey. So I think people that are going on this journey, get some, get some good tools in your toolkit. Like when I'm escalated and when I'm experiencing this, what are my go-to things that are not going to solve the problem, but at least get me back down to baseline so I can still function until I, until I'm in a place where I can still work on my healing. Because even once you go through all of that healing, there are definitely going to be times where something tries to come back to your memory or someone tries to throw something in your face. We can, for just a, for instance, okay, if you had somebody maybe young that was raped and ended up becoming very promiscuous after that, becoming um, a prostitute and just decided, well, I'm going to give my body away so that way no one can ever take it again. And, you know, then some years go by, they go on this healing journey. They're doing great. Can you imagine how detrimental it would be for someone to throw in their face? Remember when you used to be a prostitute? Remember when you used to do this and you used to do that? That'd be horrible. So, and and unfortunately, there are people in the world that are going to do that. There are people in the world that are going to constantly remind you of your past and what you used to be. And you just have to be in a place in your mind that you you understand, yeah, thank God I'm not that anymore, right? Or if it, if it is something where someone says something and, and pushes a button, what are my go-to safety in my toolkit that I can use? And I know I'm referencing it, it's like a hypothetical toolkit, but what are some go-to things that I can have and use that will not keep me from giving a reaction? Because for some people, that's what they're looking for. What is going to keep me from not having a nightmare from something I experienced 12 years ago that I, I did. I, I went through healing. It, it doesn't really affect me, but that doesn't mean I'm never going to think about it. So, you know, it's, it's important as that backup, just, just have some tools in your toolkit. Right. So in my hypothetical toolkit, um, I have a couple things. One is breathing. So whether that's just taking a moment and just kind of breathing in deep for like four or five seconds and then breathing out for four or five seconds. That's something like I go to, especially having anger issues and dealing with that in the past. That's something I definitely have to go through um, just when I get into situations that I'm not able to control my anger. My second go to would probably be a walk in nature or grounding, as you said earlier. That's like that'll calm me down that'll bring me back to peace like just getting out to nature i don't care if it's like zero degrees outside if i just go outside breathe that fresh air i'm a lot better also just having that support like toolkit you in my toolkit i have people that you know i can lean on for support loved ones family members friends whatever you know that's something that you know i keep close by just if i'm having a bad day or if i feel like i can't take it anymore like, hey, just an ear to listen to, like you said before, just support is so important. So it's just a couple of things that I use. Yeah, I think my number one go-to is either for me to be alone or to go to the gym. Those are the two mm-hmm. big ones that I use because I don't have a ton of alone time. 
And, you know, I'm, I'm typically in the gym five days a week. That's been a big journey for me, but it's become very therapeutic. So those are kind of my, my two go-to, alone time or gym time. I can't forget about the gym too, yeah. I got to get a gym major respect because you can get some stuff off your chest in there, for real, literally. <laughs> yes, definitely. What are some ways personally you trying to grow in right now in your life? Just in general, in ways that I'm trying to grow? Just in general. Well, I'm trying always to be mindful. I think that I should be learning something every day, no matter what it is, from wherever around me. It could be from my children. It could be from a friendship, a relationship, family, something I see on TV, a book I read, something. So I want to learn something every day. I want to continue to establish healthy boundaries and maintain them. For a long time, I would like, yeah, I'm doing this and I'm establishing this and here's my boundary line and you can't cross it. And then it was a constant gray area and there was no more boundary line. So I've gotten um, I've gotten really good and I'm, it's something I'm continuing to work on is when I make up my mind on something and establish a boundary on something, I can hold it. Like, and, and there's no no offense given or anything, but for me, this is my boundary. So I've gotten really good about that. That's something that I'm continuing to work on, continuing to work on my communication language with my children and understanding the things that they may be going through at their age. My children are 10 and 13. So maybe the things that they see in social media and how that affects them, the things that they see from other kids and wanting to create that safe space at home, right, for them to be able to come and talk to me as well. I'm still their parent before I'm their friend. But just just kind of learning to parent in a different way and explain things to them differently. And then just trying to stay focused on what's next with my career. What do I want to do pursuing with my education, my business, and, and just really wanting to accomplish and have everything that God has for me. I love it. I love it. What are you um, what are you working on outside of crisis intervention? Like you, you mentioned your business. Um, tell me a little bit about that. So it's just kind of a natural product line business for men and women of all hair and skin types. I really wanted to create something that was inclusive and no matter what the product is, somebody could get a use out of it. And some of my products, they're for different uses. For instance, I have like a hair and um, body butter. I use it in my daughter's hair, but I use it on my body. So kind of working on that, we used to like strictly use Dove in my household. Everything was Dove. And now I only use my products. But there's a lot of chemicals in everything that we use and we put on us. Um, so I, I kind of wanted to create some change with that. And um, it's been a slow process, but I, I definitely believe in my product and stand behind it. Yeah. Shameless plug. I, I use Lita's product. I use her soap. I use her deodorant. I use her oil for the beard. It's great. So that's the that's the plug for this evening. Like, Lita, what's the name of your brand? So you can shout it out real quick. It's Elixir Hair and Body. And right now you can join the the mailing list. Hopefully the website will be launching in the next the next week or two. Absolutely. Get y'all some for real. Y'all won't regret it. Lita, it's been amazing to have you on the B podcast. I appreciate your time, your wisdom your insight. And I appreciate the work that you do in the mental health area, in the crisis response area. And honestly, we can use more people like you in the world. Just want to 
shout you out like for real give you your give you your roses no no pun intended while i can no definitely thank you for allowing me to come on your platform and kind of speak and maybe help give people some new perspectives on ways they can help themselves and help maybe help the other people around them that are experiencing or dealing with trauma as well. Absolutely. Thank you guys for listening. This is James with the B Podcast. I'll see y'all next week.